Hey, while you're seated, tell your neighbor, don't get lost in transition. Tell your other neighbor, it's time for a shift. Just say, it's time for a shift. I really believe that. We are prophetically, church, in a place and time where God's people are not where they used to be, and they're not quite yet where they're supposed to be. It's like we're betwixt two worlds, the past and the future. But we're living in the present. And yet, uh, there's something called the shift. Everybody say the shift. There's a shift that is taking place in the body of Christ. And dare I say, there's a shift taking place in the whole wide world. You know, stuff like we're going through now is a global thing, right? It's a global thing. And um, it brings things into perspective, if you will, in the sense that I'm not just going through a problem all by myself. It's like we all have the same issue and problem. I really believe that God's going to utilize this to bring the body of Christ and pull us together like we've never been before. So we're all speaking the same thing with one heart and one mind in the name of Jesus. And um, I believe that's happening. I, I, I see it happening in this church for sure. Pastor friends of mine, same thing. I was just in another church on Wednesday. Some came out to support that. I was so happy to see them. And, and um, it was a great time. Uh, Faith Journey Church, wonderful church in, in Germantown. And, uh, and you see it in their church as well. Just, just talking to the different men of God and, and, and seeing what God's doing. You get a, you get a, you get a sense that, that we're, we're, we're in a place where we're shifting. And, and maybe God can even use something like this, even though he didn't cause it, you understand, but can use it for our good and for our advantage. Somebody say amen. Because when a shift takes place, it almost always brings trouble with it. Before Jesus came into the earth, there was trouble in the land. And when Jesus was born, a shift was about to take place, and he was going to become, he is Messiah, but he was going to be known as the Messiah, and then Herod had all the children, come on, under the age of three, killed. So that was a big plague in the nation of Jerusalem and the nation of the world during that time. So this was, that was a big deal. Trouble seems to always follow when there's a transition or a shift going on. But let me just tell you this, the trouble that you go through doesn't define you, it refines you. It's not meant to destroy you. It's meant to deploy you. What is God going to take from this to deploy you into your future? I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8. It says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Get that through your head. The power that you have in your life comes from God and not from you. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works where? In us. Without that power in us, we can't do exceedingly abundantly above. Amen. So he said here, he said, this was, the, this was Paul giving a testimony. He said, we are hard pressed on every side. Now that's where most Christians stop right there. We're going through something hard right now. It's tough right now. It's just hard to deal with. I mean, I'm just an emotional wreck. I don't know if we're ever going to see the light of day. And they go through all these different emotional responses. But that's not where the apostle Paul stopped. Y'all got to hear this. He put something, a little comma in there. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. I love the confession of his faith. I may be going through some circumstantial problems right now, but I'm not crushed and I'm not in despair. He said, we've been persecuted. Watch this confession, but not forsaken. Y'all didn't hear that. He said, we've even been struck down, but watch this confession, but not destroyed. I wonder if we got some people up in this place today and watch this by streaming that can have a confession of the word of God in the midst of their problem and trouble. 
You got to get a revelation that that trouble you're in right now is a launching pad to your future. Somebody shout yes. That's the problem. Most of the times we don't, we do not understand what we're going through. And the key is to have understanding of what's going on in the trouble. What's God really trying to say? What's God really trying to do? Where is he really trying to take us? If we believe that God is in control, then why do we act like he's not? We cannot lose hope when trouble comes. I want to preach right here. Y'all, I only got a few minutes. Hallelujah. I might have to do this in tongues. Y'all just get the interpretation. We'll go eat some chicken afterwards. Hallelujah. Lord, where do I go from here? The Bible says that God raised up the waves of the ship was on the waves and then he came, the waves came crashing down, went up to heaven, then down to the abyss and the sailors that were on the sea were, the Bible says, were beside themselves. They were at their wit's end. They didn't know what to do. They were so, they were so freaked out they knew they were going to die for sure but in their distress they called out to God and God heard them in their trouble. And the Bible says, and he did what? He called the raging sea to stop and the wind to stop blowing. And watch this. It doesn't end there. God's got something intended. He said, and he carried them to their desired haven. In other words, what looks like a storm that was there to take the people down, when they cried out in their trouble, when they cried out in their persecution, when they cried out in their pain, when they cried out in their fear, God took them to the desired haven. Where's God about to take you into your desires? So when you're standing in a place where you're not where you used to be and you're not quite where you're supposed to be, that place is called transition. And transition over a long period of time will cause doubt, confusion, frustration, hurt, uh, rejection. You feel rejected by God and everybody else around you. I just declare over you in the name of Jesus today is something shifting in your life. You're not going to be the same people you were when you walked in here today. I want us to look over 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. i got to remind myself of the time. A, a certain woman of the wise, the sons, the prophets, cried out to Elisha. Elisha is the man of God. Elisha represents the word of God being spoken in this woman's life. She, he was a friend of her husband, and the, her, she called her husband his servant. Next, next sentence says, your servant, my husband, is dead. So we know that he was close to the family. Elisha was close to the family, and she was close to Elisha, right? Your servant, my husband, is dead. Watch this. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. So in other words, it's like a double whammy. He hears for the first time, possibly the first time, that he's died. He's passed away. So the first news he gets is nothing but negative, right? And, in the, and of course, the second whammy is it's his friend. And the creditor is coming to take uh, my two sons, she said, to be their slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. And she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass 
When the vessels were full, that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there, there's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Just look at your neighbor and say, there's a breakthrough for you. Just tell them there's a breakthrough for you. Prophesy that in Jesus' name. There are three things from this text that we're going to talk about for a few minutes. Three things that I want you to see here. Number one is this. God always gives his people a promise. God will always make a promise. And when God makes a promise, he's a promise keeper. He said this. You will, you will, you will pay your debts. Number two, God always gives the provision with a promise. He is, God is El Shaddai, not El Chipo. Somebody say amen. Got that from my friend. Come on, Jesse Duplantis. And he said this, you will have, just get the vessels, pour out that oil. In other words, there's going to be an abundant supply of oil. So there's what? There's promise and there's what? Promotion, because you'll pay off your debt, and you're going to be promoted. You're going to move into retirement. You're going to live on the rest. Are y'all flowing with me so far? God always makes a promise. He also does what? He also gives provision with a promotion. But number three is this, and this is where most believers get tripped up, and they don't like this. And that's something called the process. Everybody say the process. And the process is the only way to get the promise to give you the promotion and the provision. Can I say that one more time? The process is the only way to get the promise to give you the promotion and the provision. That's why the Bible says, David cried out and said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, he had to be willing to go through the valley. He had to be willing to go through the process. Y'all didn't hear that. Yea, though I, that's, now this is prophetic. Yea, though I walk through the process of the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Hey, watch this, y'all. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Y'all didn't catch that. You're going to be king, David, but you're going to be king, and you're going to have wealth, wealth and riches and honor wherever you go, and I will be with you, but you've got to be willing to go through the valley of the shadow of death. But when you get there, honey, just know I'm going to be walking with you step by step, inch by inch, to get you into your place of promise. And it's there in the valley that I will promote you. It's there in the valley in the process that I will deliver you. It's there in the valley that I will, through the process, that I will provide for you because you will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, my cup, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Somebody give a shout to God. You may be seated. I hope you're standing up in your home right now, praise God. This place is erupting in victory in this house. I hope it's coming across to you because it is. This morning, very quickly, I'm going to give you six symptoms of a shift in your life. You have to understand there's reasons for what's going on in your world. But if you don't recognize them, you'll never understand the shift. You think you're going backwards, but actually God's trying to propel you into your future. 
Six, number one is this. The first symptom of a shift in your life is when your dependable resources begin to dry up. Makes no sense. Makes no sense, Tom. I'll say it again. Number one, first symptom of a shift is this. When your dependable resources begin to dry up. That means something in your life is getting ready to shift into another direction. Let me just prophesy this to you. Say, do not be afraid. Do not think that this is, the la- this is it. Do not think that you're going under. You're not good at going under. You're going over. You're not going to break down, break apart. You're going to break through. Somebody say amen. And so she said, verse 1, my, my husband is dead. What was she saying? My dependable resource is gone. In those days, women didn't work outside the home. She didn't have much choice but to be pretty much a beggar. Her sons probably could work for her, but she was in so much debt, she couldn't see the forest for the trees. Her dependable resource was gone. There is no doubt that, the, 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 that this woman, one season of her life was over, but a new one was about to begin. A shift was about to take place, and she did not know it. Fear ruled her life as a result. Church, the Lord spoke this to me in a dream. He said, my people do not fear what they can't see. They fear when they can't see. It's not the what that we have a problem with. It's with the fact that we can't see it all. Jesus, why Jesus always said, lift up your eyes and see. Come up to another level and understand. You've got to trust God when you can't see God. You've got to learn to lean on him when you can't see him. You've got to acknowledge him when you can't see him. You've got to learn to hang on and hang on and hang on when you can't see him. Then the Bible says, he shall direct your ways. Amen. So again, number one, a symptom of a shift taking place in your life is when your dependable resources dry up. That's exactly what happened to Elijah. The Bible says that he had a great victory, the prophets of Baal, and, and, and he, he took them down, 450 prophets by himself. And I mean, God did a mighty work. A powerful sign came from heaven and fire fell and lapped up the, the, the sacrifice and all the water. It was a miracle of God. He destroys the prophets. And one word, negative, one negative word that said coronavirus was coming to his house. One. It might not have said that, but that Jezebel said, tell him by this time tomorrow, he's going to be like them prophets he killed. He's going to die. It doesn't matter the word. The word, the fact of the matter is, is that it brought fear to him. But even in God's mercy, because of his fear, God took him and said, go to the brook Cherith. I'll take care of you. Don't worry about a thing. And he goes to the brook Cherith, and there every day he can drink water from the brook. And every day the Bible says that God commanded the ravens to feed him with meat and bread and took care of the prophet every single day. But one day the ravens didn't show up, and the brook began to dry up. Most Christians go, see, God can't trust God. He told me to go here, and here I am again in trouble. First I got Jezebel on my back, and now here we go with this situation. It's all dried up. I must have missed God. Or if, if I did hear God, he don't like me for some reason. How many of you feel like God just didn't like you for some reason? How many reasons other people's Facebook, bo- Facebook posts and say, man, you love them. How come you don't love me like that? You lie, you fry. I know exactly how you think. And here he is. In a place of desperation once again. And God said, do not fear. I have a woman, a widowed woman in the place called Zarephath. And she will provide for you there. Now get up from here and go there. In other words, when the dependable resources dried up, there was a shift and transition that was taking place for Elijah to have more expression of ministry. Let me make this statement. Transition puts you in alignment for a new assignment. All right? Amen. Amen. 
2 Kings 4, 1. This is number two, by the way. The creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. The creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Number two, the second symptom of a shift that is, that's taking place in your life is the threat of taking away what you love the most. When you start feeling the threat that something's going to be taken away from you that you love, something's going to be hijacked from you, something that's going to be the threat of subject, subjugation to minimize you. Let me just say, when you've been thrust into the middle of a transition, it's difficult to know what to do next. You begin to believe the lie of the threat. You feel lost. You feel confused, almost stunned because you can't see the next thing you're supposed to do. You can't see the next step. In other words, what used to work for you isn't working for you anymore. I had this experience in my life. I'm not going to go long in this because I don't have the time. But some of you know this already. My wife and I felt led and called to go to, uh, to, go to Madison, Wisconsin to start a church. And we went there with full intentions of God to do something great in our lives. And we wanted that to happen more than anything. And so we went with high hopes and faith to do this. But it's just like we just couldn't get the thing working. We couldn't get it quite, got it off the ground. And we had some people coming, but it was like the favor of God. How much ever had that happen? It's like you felt God tell you to do something, but there just wasn't favor on it to make it work, to make it happen. Five of us and the rest of you have never stepped out for God in your life. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so, uh, and, and so now I'm in a place where, where I feel like everything in my life is not working. And up until that point, things were working for me perfectly well, in my opinion. Things that I did just seemed to work. Sometimes shockingly to me that they would actually turn out good. Kind of like I felt like boy wonder. Whatever I did just was going to work. So I had no doubt in my mind going there I was going to have nothing but success, success, success. Building God a house in Madison. Building God's kingdom in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm there and it's just not working the way I thought. To the place where I'm done. I want out of ministry. I don't want to do this anymore. How much ever felt like that? You just want to be done. And I felt like I'm just going to quit. I'm going to give up. And that's when God spoke to me and said, you're a double-minded man. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think that he can receive anything from the Lord. And when your receiver is broken, you ain't going to get nothing from God. And the reason why your receiver is broken is because you're double-minded. Amen. And so, so my point is, is that I thank God the day came that God, he spoke to me to come to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and all was well. But it wasn't until I was willing to walk through the process of Madison, y'all didn't hear that, to get here to Milwaukee. Somebody say amen. amen. Number three, I got to move along. Number three, verse two. I have nothing in the house, she said. I have nothing in the house. Number three, the third symptom of a shift is perceived failure. She said, I have nothing. In other words, I have failed my sons. I have failed my destiny. I have nothing to show for my life. I'm a failure. You only see then lack and deficiency. Yet right after she said that, I have nothing in the house, she says, oh, but I do have a small jar of oil. Isn't it interesting how failure, when you think of yourself as being nothing but a failure, how it blinds you to what you do have to offer God? Do I need the organ to get you back up again or what? I don't think you need that. I think you need to listen to what I'm saying. I'm going to say it one more time. I said failure will blind you to what you do have to offer. Never tell God you have nothing. In this church, we made a decision. 
we're going after the debt of this church. And if we pay the debt off in this church, God's going to pay the debt off in your home. Come on, somebody. We, had, we, we, we are believing God 555 a week for people to get on board so we can take care of this debt and move on to the next level with God. But people had to start with what? With what they have. Let me make this statement. There is no such thing as failure to the believer. Get failure off your mind. Get failure out of your speech. Make it so you can't fail. Failure is actually the negative perception of the shift that is taking place in your life. When you don't understand what you're going through and you're in the process, you're going to feel like a failure. You can't fail in the process. If he's with you, he said, I'll be with you. My rod and staff will comfort you. Amen, church. Joseph was a great example of this and how Joseph was, he had a dream. And he was a dreamer. And he was an interpreter of dreams, the Bible said. He had two major dreams. And both dreams were putting him on a pedestal where everybody was looking at him. And, and, and he, they were bowing to him. The stars bowed. The moon started the, the, the bowed. The sun bowed, the Bible says. And it represented his family. He told it to his family. And guess what? It upset every one of them. It really upset his brothers thinking that he's better than them. And so they decided, we're going to leave him for dead and put him in a well. Put him in a well. And then sold him into slavery. Brothers sold him out into slavery. You see, he had a promise from God. Where his life was going. And how great it was going to be. But he didn't know there was going to be a process he'd have to walk out before he can get the promise to give him the provision. Come on, y'all. And the promotion. So now he's in, he's in the pit. Sold into slavery. Now he's sold out into a man's house named Potiphar. And there in Potiphar's house, he's got a wife. His wife has got the hots for Joe. She's casting long eyes at Joe. Come on, somebody. That means she liked it him. Come on, y'all. And what happens as a result of that? The Bible says as a result of that, that she, she decides she's going to lay with him. And he says, no, no, no. One day she said, yes, yes, yes. And he said, no, and runs right out of his clothes. She's holding his clothes, and she cries rape because she's angry and mad. Gets him thrown into prison. But the Bible says that God was with him in the prison. God was with him in Potiphar's house. God was with him in that deep pit. Come on, somebody say amen. You might find yourself in trouble, but God is still with you, and the hand of the Lord is upon Joseph, and the hand of the Lord is upon you too. And the day came that Pharaoh had a dream. Come on, y'all. And nobody can interpret the dream. And they said, well, we know a man. Well, how did they know about Joseph? Because while Joseph was in prison, the Bible says he was interpreting people's dreams. In other words, he may have been in a place where he didn't want to be. He wasn't where he was. He wasn't where he used to be. And he wasn't quite where he's supposed to be. But he didn't mire in the muck. Come on, y'all. He didn't cry about it. He used his prophetic giftings. He used what he had to offer. And God said, now that that has happened, I can use a man like Joseph. And the day came, they said, we know a man who can interpret your dreams. His name is Joseph. He said, bring him to me. And he told the, he told the dreams of the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh said, you're my man. I'm going to make you the right-hand man to me, and nobody will be greater than the land but me. You are going to be number one outside of me. I'm going to make you the leader of the whole known world. How did that happen? He went from being to coming a prince. Oh, Y'all don't hear this today. He was working in the prison, and now he's in the palace. How can that happen? Only God can bring favor like that. 
and a man that understands the process is the man that will see the victory. You're not going down. We're not going down. We're all going over to the next level. You got three Hebrew boys. My shack, your shack, and a bungalow. Someone say amen. Or the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There we go. And we have, y'all need to laugh a little bit. Y'all just looking at me now. And so, and so they said, uh, you know, if you don't bow your knee to Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to burn. Nebuchadnezzar told them that. They said, well, we're not going to bow our knee to you. We only bow our knee to Jehovah God and him alone we pray to. And that's all we bow our knee to. So you got to do what you got to do. So what does he say? He said, turn up the furnace. And then he said, stoke it seven times hotter. How hot is hot? Hot's pretty hot itself. But seven times hotter? So hot that the men that threw him in were burned alive. But when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego entered the fiery furnace and was willing to walk through the process, the only things that got burned, not one hair in their head, nothing in their skin, the only things that got burned were the things that were binding them in the first place. And Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, I thought we threw three men in there, three men in there. But I look and there's a fourth man walking around in the fire, in the process, in the trouble, in the pain, in the persecution. And he looks like the son of God. I'm here to tell you that God will walk with you. God will be with you. You can't even make your bed in hell and God will not show up. He'll be there too. You can be seated. Jesus looked like a total failure. Did he not? Can we be real? If we were around him in that time, we would have thought he was a failure. Preached three and a half years, did incredible, incredible miracles. Nobody liked him. Everybody's falling in love with him. The day came, they captured him and put him on a tree to die. And he dies. It is finished. And his spirit gave up the ghost. The Bible says that, he, that during that time, that even the earth shook, even the earth responded to the death of Jesus. But it looked like a total failure. It looked like that everything people were believing that just died. But how many knows God had not written that part out? The resurrection was about to happen, and people didn't understand it, did not know. But three days later, Jesus gave, came up out of that grave, and he came out not just a king, but king of kings. Not just a lord, but lord of lords. Jesus the Bible says, went into the innermost parts of hell and regained the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Jesus was willing to walk through the process of death, even to hell, to give the victory back to God's people. Y'all didn't hear that. So that he could be what? Promoted. Come on, y'all. And provide for us what we need. Someone say amen. Jesus may have looked like a, like a failure, but that was to the untrained eye. What's God doing in your world right now? Why do you keep seeing yourself the way you are negatively and going down and this, again, this is happening once again and why am I going through all this trouble? Number four, verse three, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from your neighbors. The fourth symptom of a shift is exposure. In other words, what is very personal goes very public. I'm sure that this woman didn't want her neighbors to know what she was going through. And now the word that she's got to obey is she's got to expose herself. That's painful. 
I can almost deal with it somewhat by myself. But now that I got to let the world know what's going on in my life, that's a whole nother level because what are they going to say? How are they going to receive this? I don't want to go through the story 18,000 times. It's already painful enough the one time I have to live this thing. And she's knocking on their doors. You know how neighbors be. Come on, y'all. Can I borrow your vessel? What you need my vessel for? Well, I need my vessel because uh, the Lord told me I got to have it. Yeah, but why do you need my vessels? What's wrong with your vessels anyways? I heard. People are no different then as they are today, right? She's got to knock on their door. The exposure wasn't for her embarrassment, but for the glory of God to be seen. I didn't like the fact that my wife and I weren't successful in Madison. I just didn't understand at the time that it was part of my process. I thought that was my, my story, and my story just ended, and that was it. I didn't realize it was all a setup for something greater. I didn't realize all the pain I walked through for that was preparation. Y'all didn't hear that. Your pain becomes your preparation for your future. I had no idea that God was going to say, go to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, start a church there. You're in the wrong place. That's what he told me to do. And we had to come here. And now we have to go back to where we came from. We're what? Knocking on the door. What's happening? People are asking, what happened? What's going on? I don't want to tell them all the stuff. I, I don't want to tell them all that stuff. But you got to because there's something great. In other words, God's not doing it to embarrass you. It's so that you can have a testimony of his goodness. If all you have, if all you have is the life you've lived and how bad it is, you don't have a testimony yet. And I got good gospel news for two or three people, at least in this room today. Your story ain't over yet. Hey. It's uncomfortable to be vulnerable. It's uncomfortable to have to rely on others. Just like a woman that is pregnant with a child. How many women have had babies in this room today? Praise God. Thank, let's, men, let's give it up for the ladies because without them, we won't be here. Thank you, ladies. That baby grows to nine months. And what happens? There's no more room in the womb. And mamas want the baby up by eight. By eight months, they're done already. Nine months is like, oh, my God. Jesus, please deliver me of this child. Amen. And so that baby is not supposed to stay there long. It's a nine-month period, and then that baby's got to go public. It's got to get out of there. It's interesting that the very place that once gave you nurture and comfort now is a place of unrest and discomfort. Because where you're at right now, you were never destined to stay at the rest of your life. Come on, somebody. I felt that shaky right there. Church, you may be unwilling to go through the difficulties and the challenges, but it makes no differences. Once, you've, once you understand, you've got to get through the process of transition, the exposure, being uncomfortable to get to the other side. That's called a shift. And number five, the, this is out of verse three. She, the Bible says, then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. That will preach all by itself for about a week right there. So number five is this, the fifth symptom of a shift is when you minimize your potential. He has to tell her. He's got to physically tell her. Tell her what? Don't go borrow just a few. He's saying, I know your mindset. You're going to get two or three vessels and you're going to call it a night. Go get as many as you can. Don't minimize your potential. Don't 
keep looking at that oil you have and go, well, I'm just, man, if God's going to do a miracle, I guess he's just, I mean, I can believe for like two vessels, baby. Get as many as you can. That's a symptom. You're not stretching your faith out far enough. You're not believing God to go into places that are uncharted territory for you. Stop doing what you can think. Stop believing for what you can think. I'm going to say it one time. Stop believing for what you can think. Start believing for what you can dream. Number six, I'm dumb. I, you, you understand, I could, I could expound on all these points, but I don't have time today. It's, it's kind of messing with my flow. Number four, number six, verse four. You shall shut the door behind you and your sons. You shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Number six, the sixth symptom of a shift that's going on in your life is nostalgia. When you start looking back more than you're looking forward, that's a symptom that something's about to shift in your life. When you start reminiscing about the good old days, and isn't it interesting how we reminisce about the good old days, but when we were living, they weren't so good? Am I telling the truth here? Well, those were the good old days, but you were living them. They weren't that great. You couldn't wait for your future. You still believe in God for different things. Amen. <laughs> so he said, shut the door behind you. Statement. A shift will always require you to move forward. Church nostalgia is a thief of your future and of your destiny. Every time God was about to position children of Israel to go into the promised land, they were in the wilderness. He said, all right, this year you're going to do it. And every time they would start get, things would get tough, and what would happen to them? they start smelling the onions, the Bible said, and the garlic that was over in the land of Egypt. They could smell it wafting over the oh. Oh, that we could be back in the land of Egypt, that we could eat all the onions and garlic that we wanted. See where their vision was? See how they, they, were, they weren't thinking about their future. They were thinking backwards. And every time they thought backwards, it, it, it stopped their momentum moving forwards. Luke 9, 62. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one. Philippians 3.13, brethren, I do not count myself if apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching where? Forward to those things which are what? Ahead. Y'all can read, can't you speak? Make a decision in your life today to move forward, no matter what it seems to cost you. Don't keep looking back. Look, you can't look out the windshield and the rearview mirror at the same time. You're going to wreck yourself or end up in the ditch. He told her, shut the door. Once you get this thing going and cooking, you get this thing happening, shut the door. You've heard me say this before. This is controversial for some people, but here we go. You cannot have two doors open at the same time in the realm of the spirit. You're going to be required by God to shut a door. Jesus said, when you pray, Go into your closet. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is where? In the secret place. By the way, the secret place carries the secrets of God. And this father who sees in secret will reward you how? Openly. You can't get open reward or open manifestation until you're first willing to shut the door. 
Many are praying, God, open this door and open that door, open this door. God is saying, I need to shut some doors in your life. Start asking God, which doors I need to close? That relationship, I got to close that door. That unforgiveness, I got to close that door. That bitterness, I got to close that door. There can be no doubt. I believe Jesus is attracted to closed doors. That's why the Bible says in the book of Revelation that he stands at the door and knocks. And if any man hears his voice and opens the door, notice that when the door closes, come on, y'all, Jesus will begin to knock. Y'all didn't catch that, but you'll get it. And I'll come into him and sup with him and be with him and he with me, the Bible says. I'll have communion with him. Somebody say amen. John, join